Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. History in the making today in our country. Um, it all started last week when Ontario Judge Michelle Obansawin was nominated for the Supreme Court of Canada. Right now, uh, this afternoon, she is addressing a parliamentary committee in Ottawa, but it's not like uh, in the United States. Um, her appointment doesn't need a vote, okay? It's not like she needs to be... Um, passed by the House and the Senate like they do in the United States. We don't have that kind of procedure here. She's been nominated. Uh, she will be the first Indigenous person to be ever placed on the Supreme Court of Canada. Clearly, that's an important attribute, but that's not all. That's the one of many sterling attributes that um, she brings, along with tremendous experience and credentials, um, to her appointment on the Supreme Court of Canada. So let's get a bit of background. We're going to chat with uh, Robert Jaynes, who is a partner with JFK Law in Toronto and in Victoria, and he focuses his practice on Aboriginal law. Robert, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Yo, thanks for having me. So tell us about Michelle Obansawin, um, just what it is that you think she brings to the Supreme Court, aside from the fact that, you know, she's making history and arriving there. Well, obviously, the, the headline uh, item is the fact that she's an Indigenous person and the first Indigenous person uh, to go to the court. She's Abenaki from Northern Ontario. She grew up near Sudbury um, and, um, you know, so clearly brings to the table experience as the first Indigenous uh, person to be appointed to the court. And at a time when there's some very important Indigenous issues going to be going to the court over the next uh, couple of years, there's, there's going to be a case about uh, the First Nations' ability to take over child and family welfare services, there's going to be an important case about uh, First Nations self-government and the ability to decide, you know, who is uh, who can be in their government or not. And there's going to be a big case about whether or not there should have been revenue sharing for the last century and a half in Ontario. But but also, you know, she has a doctorate in law. She received a PhD in law. She has experience as a trial judge. Um, she's been a trial judge in Ottawa since 2017, and so she's actually been through the the uh, hell, essentially, that the uh, courts have gone through during COVID, and there's undoubtedly going to be many cases coming up about delay and issues caused in the court by COVID, where she'll be able to bring her direct experience as a criminal law yeah. trial judge. And uh, she has some practical experience um, working in the hospital setting. She was a lawyer for the Royal, uh, um, the Royal Ontario, uh, Royal Ottawa Hospital, and you know, I fully expect that there's going to be a couple of big health care cases coming up before the court in the next couple of years. And to have a judge there who actually has some inside knowledge about how the hospital systems work, the strain that is under, the kind of issues it's dealing with, um, will be invaluable. And, you know, Robert, you make such a good point that that inside knowledge, that perspective 
um, can be so important. And like you said, there's some big cases coming up. There's already been a number of cases. I mean, the Supreme Court has had a, a huge impact on the lives of Canada's Indigenous people for a very, very long time. And never before have we had an Indigenous perspective on the court making those decisions. That's that's a fundamental shift. Oh, it's, it's, it's a huge shift. And, you know, over my career, I've seen it shift from that once upon a time when I was starting out, you rarely ever saw even an Indigenous lawyer at the Supreme Court. It was essentially a large number of non-Indigenous lawyers talking to non-Indigenous judges about the lives of Indigenous people. And I can remember the first case where an Indigenous lawyer led off, um, you, you know, speaking for the Haida, and the impact that had in the courtroom and for the judges where they knew that they weren't just talking about an Indigenous person, but they were actually talking to an Indigenous right. person was huge. And now they'll have an Indigenous person, you know, when they walk out the back door of the courtroom and sit around that big round table behind the Supreme Court courtroom, there'll be an Indigenous person sitting there where they talk about the lives of Indigenous people. You know, and that kind of diversity, I mean, in, in, as you say, it will inform their decisions. It'll be part of what the Supreme Court does. But, I mean, when you take a look at... Uh, um a system or a service or whatever you want to call the Supreme Court or government or, or media or corporations or whatever it is, um, there's a recognition that they should reflect the customer or the citizens or the people that they're serving. All those perspectives are, are valuable. Yeah. And well, Canada has always recognized on the Supreme Court that it needs um, to have people from from proper different areas. So, for example, there have to be three judges from Quebec. But there's also been, over the years, customs developed where there always have to be two judges from the western part of the country. So there's a presently mm -hmm. two judges from Alberta on the court and a court judge from Atlantic Canada. It would be inconceivable now if the court ever got to a point where there were no women on it. Um, so, you know, we've, we've realized in Canada, and quite different than the U.S. in this regard, that, that it doesn't do, for example, to just have a court that, only has lawyers from Ontario and Quebec, for example. Right. Yeah, it needs to and reflect. This is, I think, there's another step down this road, right? And particularly given just, like, Indigenous people are so affected by the Supreme Court in the way that most people aren't. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is filling a real gap that's existed for decades now. Robert, what about her experience as a trial lawyer, as a criminal lawyer? I mean, that's not something that we see a whole lot of on the Supreme Court traditionally, is it? I mean, is that something that she brings that's also in some ways kind of unique? Yeah, well, her experience is actually as a trial judge, and that's something that that's, the present court doesn't have a lot of experienced trial yeah. judges on it. Um, you know, that, that's in, in the Justice Moldaver, who's retiring, on whose seat she's taking. He was a very famous criminal lawyer in Toronto before uh, he became a judge. And look, there's no doubt there's some judges um, on the court who've written some important criminal law judgments. But to have a judge who's actually for, you know, five, six years sat there in the courtroom and seen criminal cases, seen the delays, seen the problems, seen the challenges, you know, like two important cases of the court in the last eight years have been about delay and about like how it is that the courts run. And to have someone who is on the ground yeah. uh, there is crucial.
Yeah, you're absolutely, I mean, it's that lived experience. And last one, and you mentioned it, but I want to expand on a little bit more healthcare experience. You're right. We are going to see a tremendous number of legal battles over COVID-19, over all kinds of public health things that have taken place in this country. Um, and as you say, she's been in the healthcare system, she, so she has... Uh, one foot in that world, as well as her legal background. It's going to be uh, extremely important. Yes. I mean, there's a case coming up in British Columbia right now, which is a direct challenge to um, to the idea of, you know, the public health care system and restricting the ability of people to be able to just pay for health care. And, um, and, and at the same time, doctors also get publicly subsidized effectively. And it's very likely that case is going to the Supreme Court of Canada. And depending on what the courts say, it could change all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And to have someone there who's actually worked in a hospital, who's actually dealt with some of the realities of, of what does it mean to say, you know, you're going to change the healthcare system. You're going to say some people can pay to get to the head of the line while others can't. You know, what, what will that mean in practice? How that will, will that change things at work? And, and right now, the other eight judges, they're great judges. They have great experiences, but none of them have ever had that kind of direct experience in healthcare. Yeah, great points. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us today.